On this week's episode of Gritty Birds, I'm talking to Chuck Westmoreland. He's a new dad, Portland business owner, and the storyteller behind one of Oregon's most touching country albums of the last year. I met Chuck right before the release of his self-titled debut record. It's an album of hope born out of near tragedy. Yeah, uh, it uh, it definitely takes you off guard. Um, certainly, I mean, you don't expect for, I mean, how old was she then? She was 34. That's on this week's episode of Gritty Birds. Stay tuned. This is Gritty Birds, an X-Ray FM radio show and podcast all about the grit behind successful artists and creatives. On 107.1, 91.1 Portland, Oregon on Wednesdays, and you can find me on all major podcast networks. My name is Jenny Wren Stotrup. We've been on break for the last couple weeks since the Siren Nation workshop I gave on podcasting. If you weren't there, send me an email and I'll get you caught up with some of the notes. I hope to be doing another one of those really, really soon. It's a wonderful thing to be able to share uh, my time and space with you. So if you want to send me an email and have questions or comments about the show, you can email me at g-r-i-t-t-y-b-i-r-d-s at gmail.com. This week, we're talking with Portland, Oregon-based country artist Chuck Westmoreland. Uh, hi, I'm Chuck Westmoreland. And how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you also. Chuck is a longtime Portland resident. He owns the Red Fox, which has been a North Portland stable for the last eight years. So me and my buddy Mike opened up a bar uh, down the street. We I used to be involved in a, I was part owner of a restaurant down further down the street. And then um, decided it would be better for me to, to leave that place and uh, start something else. So my buddy and I had word that there was some space that, that might be available up here. And so we just sort of, which has been, been an awesome thing. I mean, I love this neighborhood and I like, it's just cool to be the neighborhood bar. Chuck describes the bar as having a family feeling. You know, you get to know them, you know, they're, you know, what, what's going on with them in their lives and their families and kind of what, what gets them excited, what bums them out. You can actually, to a certain extent, help people. You know, you can be there for people. You can listen to people. Chuck is a listener. It's this gift that sets him up perfectly as a country western storyteller. One of the things I really enjoy about it are the stories, you know? And when you're at a bar like that, you get to hear a lot of stories and you get to experience people's lives in real time with them as they come in and tell you what happened at work or they come in and tell you what happened with boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife or child or whatever. And you kind of, you get a, a sense of their stories, you know, so you're hearing a hundred stories a day and they, and they're ongoing you know they're it's a serial of these stories that you get updates on you know what I mean every time you're in there a lot of that's just listening to stories and a lot of what I do is is write stories of all the songs Chuck hears every day it was his personal story that struck the deepest chord in the songs on his self-titled debut Children, when I hold you like a mirror, how you gonna want your old reflection now Shadowing how hold you like I left you I am returned from hell forever to remain I can't sleep with all this wondering where you've gone now But I can't rest with all these dogs in hollow right hand fucking pain I remember hearing voices
That was I Remember Hearing the Voice Before I Came, from Chuck Westmoreland's self-titled debut. The album is an anthology of sorts about characters struggling to stay upright. It's somebody in this balance between something horrible, not necessarily horrible, something that they don't really know how to deal with being given to them, and also having something they really needed taken away from them simultaneously. And that thing was cancer, which came into his life unexpectedly six years ago with the diagnosis of his now wife. What was the day that you found out that she had cancer? It was it was shortly after I opened up the bar, uh, maybe a year into it or something like that. So I was working 24 hours a day. And then, yeah, we, we knew that uh, her, her doctor had found, uh, had found a lump. And then we just thought it was, it was benign because she's so young. And then uh, got a biopsy, and then I got a call, and I ran down there and when she got, you know, she got the, she got a biopsy and then got the news when she was at work. So I uh, drove down there and took her home. What is that feeling to find out that something is so much more serious than you imagine? Yeah, uh, it, uh, it definitely takes you off guard. Um, Certainly, I mean, you don't expect for, I mean, how old was she then? She was 34, 34, 33, 34. Certainly, that's not something you even expect. You know, you think, of course, sure, yeah, sure, of course it'll be great. You know, or not great, but of course it'll be fine. You know, why would she have? Why would she have cancer? I was probably, with this record coming from a darker place, um, and I was kind of dealing with some issues that I just wasn't dealing with as, you know, a twenty-three-year-old guy or however old I was when I was doing the old stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that, that definitely factored into it. I mean, the mood was different. And I think I had, I kind of, I had to sort of give sort of these emotions a name to try to kind of deal with them. You know what I mean? Evolving to country was fitting, going back to the simplicity of form, something that he was often critiqued on in former projects. It keeps him honest. It's a pretty personal record. You know, when I say characters, I guess maybe they would be more different facets of my own personality or my own my own being when you write about things things about yourself that you you perceive as faults you know the character can can become ugly you know and uh, the music distances yourself from that aspect of yourself you know so where you can be honest about it you know what i mean like if you're trying to be a good good guy all the time and a good person to a certain extent you're going to be fully we can create these characters uh, that are that are parts of ourselves, but we're able to kind of distance ourselves from the the ugly aspects of our personalities and uh, be a little bit more truthful about things. Chuck started recording at home when he was still a teenager, living in the Bay Area. His dad had gotten him Synchronicity by the police, which he listened to on his play school record player. Four tracks and instruments came later, and a craft was born. My cousin had given me a guitar, so I had a guitar. But even like in in middle school and stuff and junior high, I uh, shortly at, like like when I still really sucked at the guitar and, and could barely play it, I'd already gotten a four track and was more into putting it together and kind of making recording music. You know what I mean? More so than I was. I, I'm still not a particularly great guitar player. It was while he was in junior high that he first started crafting guitars. The first one was in in junior high. I had a couple of the woodshop teacher and like the PE guy got together and got all these factory seconds from Fender. And so for like 20 bucks or whatever for the shop fee, you built your own guitar. And so I had a guitar that I built in junior. And and, it, it it was pretty cool. So they had that. 
And so we all built guitars, like me and my buddies in junior high and played our own guitars then. But it wasn't like, you know, building a neck or anything like that. It was just, you know, routing out a neck pocket and slapping the fender neck in and getting all this stuff. But it was a cool program. Those guys were really cool guys. Like many people, his first band was in high school. Alvin George. It was a guy that we pulled out of uh, my parents' high school yearbook. And he was just this, he was like the smoothest guy. Like, like we're, he was like, this. he kept coming up as like, you know, president of the Glee Club, like, you know, captain of the whatever, you know. And he was just this guy that was just killing it. And uh, he just looked really great. Like, high school was fun because it's, it's like you change so dramatically, like so quickly. Like, you know, every four months, like you're totally into something different. You know what I mean? And so the music's, like it started off like being like super like pixie sounding or whatever. And then it was like a ska band. And then it was like some sort of weird post-punk, whatever, you know. So it was kind of cool to... I don't know. That was that's what's I like that about high school is you kind of you reinvent yourself like every every several minutes. You know, you'd set up these shows, and the bands were super diverse and you know all kinds of different music. And you know, you just set up little shows in the community center or in the the vets hall. Or there were these two gals when I was younger that uh, we'd they had this old theater downtown, and they'd set up shows there. Out of a mix of Bay Area friends and some connections in Portland, Chuck began the band that made his name. Uh, the Kingdom was a band. We actually started in the Barry, so I moved back down. I was in New York. I had to move back to the Bay Area for family stuff. I went back to the Bay Area. I met up with some friends of a friend here in Portland, and we started a band called The Kingdom and recorded a 7-inch. The EP, Unitas, was a tribute to NFL star Johnny Unitas and put the band on the map. At the time, you know, I probably thought, like we sounded like Queen or something like that, you know. That was probably what I, what you know, at the time. That's probably all the, yeah, you know. This is, this is, this is what we're into or whatever. Looking back on it, I think it sounds more like Sparks or something like that. I guess you know, with really, with really psychedelic, crazy lyrics, and uh, a lot of synthesizer. With the success of the EP, they eventually made plans to settle in Portland. Meanwhile, me and the guitar player from the later Kingdom were talking. He was out in New York. I was in the Bay Area, and we were kind of writing this record and kind of plotting our move back to Portland. So he was trying to lock down his citizenship because he's from New Zealand, and I was trying to finish my stint in California, and the plan was to move to all, come back together in Portland. So we uh, we did, and so he moved out to Portland. I moved to Portland. We got this warehouse space, and we just... Uh, got jobs, started writing. And right, they did. Creative, outside the box, conceptual, and playful. The album was put out by a new-to-Portland label, Arena Rock. Some people had moved out here from New York, uh, a record label called Arena Rock, and moved out here. And then this other guy, Kevin, uh, who's a booking agent, moved out here. And so we got set up with his, with Arena Rock signed us. And then um, Kevin was our booking agent. So it was kind of an exciting time because, you know, Talk to Monarch signed, was on Arena Rock at that time. And the Thermals had just put out their first record, and it was all, it was, just, it was just a cool time in Portland. The Kingdom went on a couple notable tours, and then... It just, it just sort of fizzled out. And that was in 2006. And for close to a decade, Chuck stayed relatively quiet as an artist. He opened the restaurant, cancer hit, and life took over. Eventually, they got married, his wife beat cancer, and life began to settle down. Slowly but surely, the time came to start working on music again. Things were starting to kind of settle. I'd been I'd been busy uh, with kind of life stuff, and uh, things were settling down a little bit, getting a little calmer. And uh, I'd been uh, I'd gotten gotten into woodworking, 
and uh, I started building guitars, and I got really, really into that. And uh, so I built, I, know, I built like five or six of them, and then uh, was kind of like, oh, I should, I should play them, and then oh, maybe I should write some songs or whatever. And then I kind of, I was like, I'll just make, I'll just get out the four track. We'll just do, do some, just kind of some homespun sort of stuff. And then uh, it kind of got out of hand, and then I started getting other people involved, and then it, one thing led to another, and then now we're, we have this, this record. You take this shelter when I go And take the money that's poor taking Well, I prayed there was another way But the heart hits only beginning Well, I can feel your baby's breath and I can hear your voice descending Well, if I could find a way for down Past all these broken hills Well, there's a pattern in the blood Exploding, turning into vapor Well, I pray that I could lie you down And cast out howling demons There hung a picture on our wall It's your grandmother was the lead track off Chuck Westmoreland's self-titled debut. Coming out with a country album was not a decision that was planned out. I didn't really have an agenda. You know, I just, 
I did, I knew that I wanted to write something that was to a certain extent like self-contained, you know, I could do it myself. I wouldn't have to, you know, it, it could just be me and a guitar. I just kind of wrote, wrote some songs and that's what came out. And, uh, it, uh, you know, uh, I, that's what I've been listening to. I mean, I've gotten a little bit older, you know, that's sort of more kind of, I mean, I guess you just write the kind of songs you want to hear, you know, the kind of songs you enjoy listening to. And it, that's sort of what happened. Um, but I don't think any of it was like a real conscious effort. It just. He's a lover of country music, especially the good old boys and some new voices like Margaret Price. Right now, I've been listening to a lot of Towns Vincent. Uh, my daughter super digs Towns for some reason. And uh, like he'll quiet her down. So if she's like crying or getting crazy, uh, Towns always does the trick. But, uh, you know, a lot of stuff, you know, uh, you know, Waylon Jennings, Merle Haggard, Guy Clark, uh, newer stuff. You know, I've been I've been digging that new Margaret Price record, um, you know, Chris Stapleton, stuff like that. Some of the greatest songs have been on country albums. Part of it is the purity of form. It seems like people want that sort of high watermark of 70s country music back. It seems like it sort of went away you know, to people, I think, uh, and it's, I think people, people crave that, you know? Yeah. I think that's why like somebody like Sturgill Simpson is so successful. Because what's deeper than a singer, a guitar and raw lyrics? I mean, I think with, with all music, it, it always comes back to the song. I mean, but with country music in particular, you don't have a lot to hide behind. You know what I mean? Uh, and it's sort of, there's not like a lot of smoke and mirrors typically. Uh, and you're kind of left, you know, the voice is up front. You're actually paying attention to the words. Um, it's not buried in, you know, a bunch of other bunch of other instruments or slick moves. I mean, I guess it kind of it can be. This is The Clouds Beyond Us Carry Rain. It's one of Chuck's favorite tracks from the album because of his daughter, Libby. Cover now, cover now, as the sunlight scatters around. And the dawn comes like a judge And I have pleaded for another hour Come away, come away To a
Well, don't you cry, don't you cry, there are children in your eyes. Well, the clouds beyond us carry rain. And the life before us goes untold. In case you just tuned in, this is The Gritty Birds on X-Ray FM. I'm Jenny Wren, and that was The Clouds Beyond Us Carry Rain. Shortly after the kingdom broke up, Chuck settled in as a business owner and new husband. It's one of the most touching songs in the album, and it affects him the most. I, mean, I wrote that one right after we found out my wife was pregnant. Um... So it was, it was kind of a happy, uh, it might not seem like a happy song, but uh, it, it is, it was a happy song for us. Um, and so I'd, I'd written that and it just sort of reminds me of that time. You know, we didn't know, we didn't know if she'd be able to have kids, you know, uh, and, and we didn't, you know, so we, we froze eggs and did all that sort of stuff uh, back when she was going through treatment. And uh, so it was cool. Uh, to so, so she gets off, she gets off certain cancer drugs and because she was in a it was unclear whether we'd be able to have children or not and so she got off certain drugs and it that was going to become we were going to figure it out you know if things bounced back if things didn't or whatever and uh what was really cool was everything did bounce back it's neat i guess to have a song that puts myself right back to that that kind of joyful moment even though it might not be a particularly joyful sounding song libby is seven months old now and to note the significance of birthing an album at the same time as a much-wanted baby after cancer is no small feat. Well, and there's there's a lot of that, I think, in the record. There's a lot of carrying something to term. There's a lot of holding something. There's a lot of, of there's there's a lot of carrying in the record. There's a lot of, the record has a lot of talk about a shelter, you know? Um, there's a lot of, a lot of references about a safe place, a shelter, you know, which, uh, I think has a lot to do with family and has a lot to do with uh, physically that space, you know, that a, that you'd carry like a child in, you know. You know, there's a certain type of way of communicating people that you can only, you can only do through music. I'm glad I've done it. I'm glad that there's a document of this time in my life, you know what I mean? And it's nice to be able to wrap part of your life into, up into a package and be able to have it available, you know, and have it be something that's permanent, you know, and it's something that I could share with my daughter. It's something that my wife and I'll have, and it'll be, it'll always exist as a document of these times in our lives. You know, it's something we'll always, we'll always have that's permanent. He has a small team and has his bar and restaurant. Basically what I've been trying to do is just sort of, just sort of be here again, you know, and, and I haven't, I've just been, I've been more focused on just trying to write a good record and trying to, and trying to get it out there than I have been trying to assemble a team or to try to do really anything other than try to try to make this record and make it as, as honest as I can. Um, so that's what I've been doing. And I think the next phase we'll, we'll see. I mean, obviously I'd love to get out on, on a national tour with the record and obviously I'd like to get, get out there on the road a little bit. Um, but, uh, we'll see. I mean, I honestly don't know, uh, what the next few months are going to look like. 
I was listening to some interview with a uh, guy Clark, and he's talking about Towns Van Sant, and he's saying, you know, you know, everybody thought that Towns was just this, uh, you know, he was the savant, and he was just this genius, and he just he just ran around through life crazy, and just wrote these beautiful songs. But he's like, you know, Towns got up every day and he worked, you know, and he he got it done, and he put in the work and he wrote the songs, you know, um, and that it wasn't it wasn't just this magical thing; it was actually the result of hard work. Off the record, Chuck talked about how frustrating it can be to see the city changing so quickly. He said he didn't want to be seen as negative. Taking a listen, though, it's hard to not hear a basic goodness in his statement of taking care of one another. Yeah, um, I guess for me, it's just, I I guess it's like, you know, everybody just helping each other realize their goals and trying to to give what they can to, to help lift the other person up and you know this idea that we're all in it together and that this is this is Portland and you helping me or me helping you is is better you know is is for the greater good it's been the key to his revival his community his family his band yeah I guess that's what's great about community is it doesn't feel like building your team it feels like calling your friends and and getting them together and you know helping you know helping each other out or in their case helping me out this is Chuck Westmoreland. You are listening to Gritty Birds on X-Ray FM. You can find out more about Chuck Westmoreland at www.chuckwestmorelandcom He's on socials on the same name. His self-titled debut is out now. It's on vinyl through the website and on Bandcamp. You can also download it on iTunes. Thanks for tuning in to Gritty Birds on X-Ray FM. You can follow me on socials at G-R-I-T-T-Y-B-I-R-D-S. If you love the show, please support on Patreon. It's a wonderful site that allows you to fund your favorite creatives. Patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N slash Gritty Birds. I want to hear from you. You can always reach me at email. It's grittybirds at gmail.com. Let me know what your favorite episode has been, what you want to hear on the show. Gritty Birds is produced by myself, Jenny Ren Stotrup, with the amazing support of X-Ray FM. The interview was recorded in X-Ray's production studio. This week's board operator is Dan Indrips. The episode was transcribed by Christina Donaldson. Stay tuned in coming weeks for conversations with Spirit House Records, Sisters, David Bazan, and more. <laughs>